0: When I say the word church, what words or images come to your mind? What are you thinking when you hear that word? What pictures do you have in your mind's eye? For some of you, it's probably very positive. You remember sitting in church as a child, maybe with your mom and dad, maybe with your grandparents, maybe with extended families surrounding you. Maybe you grew up in a church where Everybody knew each other, and it was just like a family, an extended family, where people cared about each other, and and they loved their pastor, and they loved their leaders in the church. Maybe you still remember some of those songs you learned at Vacation Bible School as a child. Maybe you remember those songs that you learned in youth group or in corporate worship together. We are so grateful as parents, Beth and I, that our kids love church. For them, church is a very positive image. When they think of words that relate to church, it's very positive, and the reason for that is they were so well loved in the churches where we served. But for some of you, when you hear the word church, it's not quite so positive. Maybe you think hypocrites you'd be right. The church is comprised of people who are broken and sinful. We are not all that God has called us to be, but praise Him because He's not given up on us. We, maybe you, you think this word, and I hate this word, but I heard it this week on a radio station. They said, what are the places, the top four places people say they are most bored? Number one is, no, school. Number two is church. (laughs) Maybe you grew up in a church where you were hurt. Something happened in the church. Maybe your family was hurt. And so when you think of church, it's not positive. Friends, this morning, as we continue our series looking at the Apostles' Creed, we are looking at this amazing statement, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. Well, this morning, we're going to talk about what that means, but we're also going to say, we're going to talk about why it matters Why does it matter that I believe in the holy, universal church of Jesus? Why does that matter? What difference does it make? Well, I'm going to tell you right up front, it makes a huge difference because Jesus said that he is the head of the church. We are the body of Jesus, the hands and the feet and the mouth of Jesus. It's through us that God reaches out into the world through the presence of the Holy Spirit, we are his body. He died for the church. The church is precious to Jesus. We, the church, are called the bride of Christ. And so how we think about the church really matters. I've learned over the years to become more and more positive about the church because This is when I uh, denigrate the church, when I critique the church, and of course we always want to get better, but when I'm negative about church, I'm talking about that body in which Jesus is the head. I'm talking about that body in which we are the bride of Jesus. It matters. It matters. Now, the Apostles' Creed, if you're not familiar with it, it's about 1,600 years old. It was written over a couple of centuries and it was used to help us to identify what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be a follower of Jesus. It helps us to understand who it is that are Christian. If, if you believe something outside of the Apostles' Creed, then my encouragement to you is to look deeper at these issues as we go through it this summer. Because this is one of the ways that we identify those who belong to him. So this morning, what I want to do is I want to start by looking at what the church of Jesus is. Now, remember this. The church of Jesus is, the church is not a building. The church is people. Jesus didn't die for a building, He didn't die for a movement. He died for people. The church is people. You are the church. I am the church. And we read here, it's comprised of those who are holy, who are chosen, and who belong to God. I love this. This passage here from 1 Peter is a critical section of Scripture which defines our identity as the church. And remember, when I say the church, I'm not talking about a movement. I'm not talking about a building. I'm talking about people who believe in Jesus Christ. And what we see here is our identity. Today, as in probably every generation, but I'm seeing it more and more in the last few years than I've ever seen in my lifetime, there is an identity crisis in America. We don't know who we are anymore. We don't even know what a woman is or a man is anymore. We have lost our sense of identity. And the Bible reminds us of who we are as the church. And again, when I say as the church, who we are as individual people in that church. And so we read this. But you, speaking of the church, you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation of people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light, his amazing light. You see, friends, Jesus saved us that we would belong to him. Our identity is not derived from what the culture says about us. Our identity is not derived from what even our parents say about us or schools say about us, or a coach says about us right before he cuts us from the team. That's not who I am. Who am I? I am exactly who God says I am. He declares my identity. He determines who I am. And friends, I want to say to you, if you live in light of the identity you've been given by Christ, you will live a great life. You will not succumb to temptation that others would. You will not be driven by the world and into the world and defined by the world. You will live a stronger life, more faithful life in Christ because you know who you are. What I realized when I was in high school was that the people who tended to go astray were the people who didn't know who they were. They were defined by others, by the rejection they experienced or by the um, lack of of good scholastic achievements as the school told them, well, you're just not as smart as others. My identity is not determined by by my experiences in life. My identity is determined by what God says about me. So what does he say? I love this. He says that I'm chosen. Now, i got to tell you, this is a great thing for me. When I was in the uh, seventh grade, I think I weighed just under 80 pounds. I was a scrawny little thing. And I can remember that I wanted to be a big athlete. I did not have an athlete's build. I wanted to be a great athlete. And it was the coolest thing when I realized that God saw, and he said, I want you to be my son. Do you know how powerful that is? I want you, I choose you, to be my eternal child. That's an amazing thing. Have you seen that commercial, I think it's one of the insurance company commercials, Progressive or something, and you've got Charles Barkley on a basketball court on a pickup game with a bunch of little kids, and they're picking teams. Have you seen that one? And one of the kids says, has first pick, I'd choose Barkley, right, the NBA player. You could take the little kids, but I want Barkley. And Barkley is so excited. Yes! Yes! You chose me! And then starts mocking one of the kids that wasn't chosen. You know, there's something powerful about being chosen, isn't there? There's something amazing about being chosen. Uh, a couple of years ago, right before COVID hit, we did a, a series on, on um, the need for reaching out into the world and ministering to people. At the end, we had, um, we had World Vision come in. And many, many of you signed up to kind of adopt, sponsor a child in uh, Ecuador. And myself and... Pastor Charlie and Pastor Day, we flew down to Ecuador right after you all made, uh, signed up for Chosen, and what we did was, it's backwards, instead of us choosing the child, we took your pictures all the way to Ecuador, and we got to be there when the children chose you, and what they have found is how empowering this is that the children get to choose and we get to be chosen. I remember standing there and we've got all your pictures there and I keep, these kids keep coming in and I keep, yeah, what do you think about that one? Me. Don't even recognize me. What do you think? There you go. I love it. What about this one? And I can remember that child who chose me. And Beth, probably they're choosing you. I remember how incredible that was chosen God chose me if you're a Christian God chose you we read on it it says a royal priesthood I went through a phase where I made my kids call me um, Prince Dad because I'm royalty and so are they I'm a son of the king of the universe but you don't think that changes how you see things You go on and it says, a holy nation. The word holy means to be set apart. For what purpose? We're set apart to live for God in this world. Now, to live for God means we are to be perfect as God is perfect. We are to be holy as God is holy. We can't do that because we're sinful people, but Jesus died for us that we might be made holy. When God sees me, you see all my brokenness. God sees me. Yes, he acknowledges my brokenness. He sees it, but he sees me through the blood of Jesus. That's why the Holy Spirit can live in my life, because I have been made holy by what Jesus did for me. Friends, you don't think this changes? The way you live in life? One of the most important things, parents, that you can do for your children is to help them see themselves through the eyes of God. That's something Beth and I tried to do with our children, to see themselves through the eyes of God so that when they were experiencing peer pressure, they didn't need the acceptance of this group because the God of the universe already told them that he loved them. That makes a huge difference. That's why this matters. So what is the church? The church is people who belong to God, who are holy, who are chosen, who are royalty. We read on, and we see that the church of Jesus Christ is universal. People often get tripped up when we say the Apostles' Creed. They get tripped up because we say, I believe in the holy Catholic church. The word Catholic isn't referring to the Roman Catholic church. It's ref- The word Catholic means universal. That's what you're saying. I belong to the universal church. I love this. Listen to this passage. For we were all baptized by one spirit. We were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. We were all given the one spirit to drink. Now, you have Jews and non-Jews who are Gentiles. You have free people, and you have slaves. At that point, about two, almost two-thirds of the Roman Empire was comprised of slaves, many indentured slaves. They were slaves. So how would we see this today? We are part of one body, one church, universal, past, present, and future. It's In, in this, when we say the Apostles' Creed, we're saying, I believe in the Holy Spirit universal church that's comprised of Baptists, Methodists, Lutherans, non-denominational people, Catholics. Catholics, I believe in the church of Jesus Christ. And so I believe that the church is comprised of, ready for this? Republicans and Democrats. I believe In the universal church. What it means is I'm part of something that's universal throughout the world. I have brothers and sisters in Sri Lanka. I have brothers and sisters in Russia, in China, in South America, in Canada. Did you know there are Christians in Canada? We have Christians all over the world. I'm part of a family that goes back to the first century and goes into the future. These are my brothers and my sisters in Christ. Because we may have little differences, but bottom line is we love Jesus and we have given him our life, as we'll see in just a moment. Now, why does this matter? I have a friend who every time when we're together, and he does this all the time, he assures me, he's not just showing off. Every time he, he drives somewhere, every time he goes by a church, he says, Lord Jesus, bless your church. May they have a witness in their community. He doesn't see churches as competition. He sees them as part of our family because that's what we say in the Apostles' Creed. We are part of that family. Jesus is the head over all of it, and together we are his bride. I want you to see now this morning how the church was founded because it helps us to understand how it is that we are united. It was founded on a confession. Okay? If you go to, if you go to uh, Matthew chapter 16, what we see is the first public profession of who Jesus is. This is the first one by any of the disciples. Jesus is asked a question. He says, who do the crowds say that I am? And they say, well, some say, John the Baptist, come back to life, or uh, Elijah, one of the great prophets. And then Jesus asked the most important question any of us will ever be asked, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? And then Peter, beautiful Peter, without even flinching, answered, you are the Messiah. You are the son of the living God. And Jesus responded, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. We'll see more about that in just a moment. Here's what I want you to see. What unites us as Christians is this confession of faith. Peter didn't say, you are a great teacher, you are a great role model. Now, he was both of those. He didn't say, you are a great prophet. He was a great prophet. He didn't even say, you are a great king. He was a king. He said, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God, the Messiah. Now, that word is loaded. For hundreds and hundreds of years, they waited for the Christ, the Messiah who was coming and he would fulfill all the Old Testament. He was coming, and they were waiting for him. And Peter, because of the work of the Father in his heart, he says, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah we've been waiting for. You are the Son of the living God. Friends, that is the confession upon which the church is built. He says, I tell you that you are Peter, and again, I'll pick this up in a moment, And on this rock, I will build my church. What is the rock? It's the confession that Peter has just made. I think that's the best understanding of this passage. You are the Messiah based on the confession that you have made, Peter. And it's a confession Peter didn't come to on his own. What does he say? This was revealed to you not by flesh and blood, but by but by my Father in heaven. Friends, the Bible says that no one can say Jesus is Lord apart from the work of the Father through the Holy Spirit in our lives. When I pray for someone who doesn't know Jesus, I pray that God will open their hearts and will reveal himself to them to give them eyes that see and a heart that will receive. We need to be praying for those neighbors and those friends and those family members who don't know Christ, who have never made this confession of faith. For it's this confession that unites us as a church. It is this confession that makes us a family. We read on and we see this, that the church is founded on truth. We read this great these words of Paul to Timothy. Listen to what he says. He says, although I hope to come to you soon... He says, I am writing you these instructions so that if I am delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the foundation of the truth. This is loaded. What does he call the church? What does he call it? He says, We're a household. Now, friends, a house is different than a household, isn't it? What's a house? A house is a building. A house is a structure. I don't really want to be part of a house. I want to be part of a household. A household is about relationships, it's about community, it's about family, it's about being brothers and sisters together. The church is not a building. The church doesn't exist tomorrow at, primarily at the corner of Edison and Euclid. Tomorrow, the church is scattered throughout. The country as we have people on vacation all over the place it's the church tomorrow is in is in schools it's in it's in um, workplaces it's on soccer fields the church is scattered throughout because we are a household we are not a house We are defined, the church is defined not by its structure, but by its relationships. And so here, this is critical, friends, because it defines that what matters is how we relate with one another, how we love one another, and that's what Paul is saying here. Listen, although I hope to come to you soon, I am writing these instructions to you so that if I'm delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves In God's household. How we are to love each other in God's household. How we are to care for one another in God's household. How we are to forgive and love and serve one another in God's household. How we are to share the resources we have with one another in God's household. The church is not primarily a structure. The church is primarily relationships based on The confession we have made together that Jesus Christ is our Lord and our Savior. That indeed he is the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of the living God. Friends, this matters a lot. Most people when they say, are you going to church? They're thinking of building. No, we are going to relate with one another as the household of God's people. That's the church. We read on, and we see in Jude 1-3, we see that the church is built on the truth. Listen to what it says. Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. Listen to that again. Compelled to write and to urge you to contend for the faith. Friends, we are to contend for the truth of God's word. Listen to what it said again in 1 Timothy. We just read this, but he says, the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. Please hear this. And those of you who are young, please hear this. Truth does not change. And truth is defined by God himself. We live at a time when truth has become relative. You have your truth, you have your truth, you have your truth, I have my truth. That is not what the scriptures teach. The church is the foundation, as Paul writes in 1 Timothy, of the truth, the truth. There is absolute truth in this world and it's defined by God himself. Now, I don't I'm not so proud as to think that everything I say is completely faithful. I'm learning and growing just like everybody else else is. But what I know is this is that God defines absolute truth. It does not change generation to generation. It does not change culture to culture. And what we see happening in the American church today as the culture goes further and further in a post-Christian world, the church keeps going further and further, redefining its truth in order to be palatable, in order to be accepted by culture. The church is built on the solid foundation of God's truth. That is what we believe when we say, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. We read on, and we see this with authority. I love this. Matthew 16, 19, he says, I will give you the keys to the kingdom. I remember when my mom and dad gave me the keys to the car. It was a frightening moment, wasn't it, Dad? I remember when we were, I, was, I had my permit And I don't ever do this. And I'm driving the car. My dad's sitting next to me. And I run a red light to turn right. He said, what are you doing? And I said, I haven't gotten to that part of the book yet. Oh, not the right answer. (laughs) It was a while before I got the keys again. This is a big deal. God is giving us the keys. The keys to the kingdom. He's giving us the keys to the kingdom. What does that mean? It means that the authority of Jesus is being given to you and to me, to the church. We're the church. He's giving us the keys to the kingdom of heaven. He says, Wh- whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now, this sounds a little confusing, but it's really not. Here's what he means. What he, all he's saying there is, And that day, the Jewish rabbis would sit at the gate of Jerusalem or other cities, and if you had a dispute, you would bring the dispute to them, and they would bind or loose. They would make the decision regarding the issue, and then you would abide by that decision. God is giving the church the authority to bind and to loose to speak on behalf of God in our world. Is that incredible? What a responsibility. I just think that is absolutely amazing. And then finally, in the power of God, I love this. Jesus says, and I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Okay, now, what is he saying here? Peter, remember his first, his real name was Simon. Jesus changes his name to Peter. The name Peter he uses here, he changes it to Petros. Petros is the name Peter, the Greek name for Peter. Now, what does Petros mean? Petros means small rock. I, I'll bring it back. It's the. Uh, from the fountain, I promise. I was going to do the whole David and Goliath thing, but I'm not that good with a slingshot. But this, this, is, this is a small rock, right? Small rock. And so he says, I tell you that you are Peter. You are Petros. You are a, a small rock. And then he says this. And on this Petra, he's not talking about Peter. He's talking about the confession. And on this Petra, Petra is a word that means peak, mountain. So he's saying, Peter, yeah, you're just this, you're this stone. But I'm going to build my church on a mountain, on a rock that cannot be moved. I'm going to build my church on Petra. Last weekend, uh, this is called Alta Peak. Last weekend, uh, my, uh, one of my daughters and my two son-in-laws and I, we hiked and we climbed Alta Peak. And I remember looking at it and thinking, that thing is huge. It's way up there. As we're climbing, I'm thinking about what Jesus said. Peter, you are the stone. You are a stone. But upon this rock, upon this peak, upon this mountain, I will build my church. This mountain reflects... This mountain reflects, it reflects the confession that we have made together, that we believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the Christ, the promised one. We believe that he died for us, and we put our faith in life and in death in him. For he is the rock upon which we will stand, and we will build the church. And the gates of hell will not prevail over her. Now, let me just say a word about that. A gate is not an offensive weapon. We often, this passage is often quoted as, we're going we're to take down um, Satan and hell. That's not what it's saying. What does a gate do? What does a gate do? It keeps things in, right? Or keeps things out. A gate, we have the keys to the gate now. We have the keys to the gate. What is he talking about? I believe in the context he is talking about the imprisonment that we had before Jesus, where sin dominated our lives, sin kept us away from God, sin kept us away from really having a relationship with one another, and where death had the final word. Through Jesus Christ, we are no longer chained. We are no longer imprisoned as the church of Jesus Christ. We have been set free as the people of God. Sin no longer has power over us, and death is no longer the final word. Jesus Christ has destroyed that power, and he has set us free. Not even the gates of hell. that And he's talking about the underworld. It no longer has power over us. For we, the church, belong to Jesus Christ. Because we belong to him together. <laughs> Friends, this is the beauty of the church of Jesus Christ. Man, I, I hope this morning that your mind is blown with how beautiful the church is. I'm going to close with this story. I want you to to hear this. An author, as he reflected on the church, listen to what he says. He was writing this during COVID. We are not the church of Chicken Little, but we are the church of Jesus Christ. We do not run around screaming that the sky is falling, there's no panic in heaven. Over the chaos of this world reigns the king of kings, Jesus the resurrected, before whom every knee will eventually bow, whether they like it or not. Every governmental authority now, presidents, kings, prime ministers, you name it, are in lame duck administrations. Their time is ending. Put not your trust in politicians or parties or ballot boxes. Christ and his kingdom are everlasting, and into that kingdom he calls us all to find forgiveness, life, and peace, and to become the church of Jesus Christ. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the power of your presence. We thank you for who you are. You are the God who loves. You are the God who saves. You are the God who has given his people the keys to the kingdom. You are the God who has withheld nothing From the heavenly realms but has poured it out all upon the church people the people sitting here with me today lord my prayer is that you would encourage us that you would empower us lord i pray that never again as we utter the words i believe in the holy catholic church may we never just utter those words without understanding what it is that we are saying We are not those who have been defeated. We are those who rule and reign because of Jesus Christ. God, may we not allow the world to define what the church is, but may we, God, allow you to define who we really are. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.